Let's take our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up here on the screen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 to 75. This uh, will bring us uh, closer to the end. So we'll finish Matthew 26. Well, you remember earlier Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35. I'll go back and read that first. I think Don will have this up there. Right at the end of the Lord's Supper, it says that uh, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is verse 30 of 26. Then Jesus said to them, and here begins some prophecy. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, because it is God's word, it has to be fulfilled. I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. No way Jesus could orchestrate that. But he says, here's what's going to happen. And now he predicts his resurrection. And after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. That's going to be weird because all of these guys are going to split. Peter answered and said to them, did I skip over verse 31? Did I? Okay. Huh. Marty, I'm next. <laughs> Keep a mortician handy. I thought it did. Anyway, Jesus answered and said to, uh, uh, Peter answered and said to Jesus, I'll kind of put it the way I might have put it. You might have put it. Lord, now let me tell you something. You talked about all those guys falling away. Well, I hope you're not including me in that because there's no way that's going to happen. Even though everybody, every one of my buddies here fall away because of you, I will never, ever fall away. Take that to the bank. Jesus said to him, really? Truly I say to you that this very night we're into it. Before a cock crows, the morning cock, that is. You're going to deny me not once, but one, two, three times. Peter said, no way, no way. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Well, he wasn't the only one. All the other guys, we often forget this. All the disciples say, yeah, that's the same goes for me. I will not. Okay, that brings us over to 69 where this prophecy begins to be fulfilled. They had arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We talked about that last week. They had him on trial. They were abusing him like crazy, physically and every other way. Peter had followed them to the site where the trial was being had, held to the courtyard of the high priest uh, that year, uh, Caiaphas. His father-in-law was a big dog still of the aristocratic family. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. Everybody had split. I guess at some point Peter must have turned around and said, Oops, 
Oh, I remember that prophecy. I'm not going to. No, I'm going to follow. So he followed, I'm guessing. I would have at a kind of safe distance if I'd been in his mode. And they delivered Jesus to the people who were gathered there for the trial. They were all sitting in their hot shot seats. And uh, Peter was outside. He wanted to see how this was going to go down. Peter, the brave one. And a servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus the Galilean. They talked funny. I'm from West Virginia. I've been away from West Virginia a hundred years. I went to Dutch Brothers the other day. And this girl said, where are you from? I said, Southern West Lynn, where do you think? <laughs> anyway, so Peter, Peter's regional accent showed up, I guess. And uh, he denied it. No, 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 not me. I was not with him, one denial. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another apparently servant girl, that's why it's it's another feminine, saw him and said to those who were there, hey, 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 this man, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Now you're Peter and you'd just cut off the ear of the high priest servant. Jesus had reattached it, but ah, people would remember that, don't you think? Ah, him. I saw that guy slash with a sword. Again, he denied it, but this time with an oath. It doesn't mean he was cussing. It means he took an oath. He he took an oath, went so far as to impose on himself in the eyes of God a curse as a witness to his truth. And a little later, the bystanders came up. That's two. Surely you two are one of them. Yep, the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse, and this time to swear. You know, like a junkyard dog. I do not know the blankety-blank man. Get off my back. And immediately the cock crowed. Exactly what Jesus said. Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before the cock crows, the morning cock. You will deny me three times. And all of a sudden it hit him. For all of that bravado there in the garden, pulling out that little short sword, whacking the ear off, showing how brave he was and showing that he was going to go down with Jesus. Uh, He was looking on the right and it caught him on the left. A cowardly streak, even in Peter, kind of popped up. And he felt very threatened. And he denied Jesus three times. And it hit him forcefully. What have I done? That's exactly, exactly, exactly what the Lord said I would do before this night was over. And I did it.
Oh, God, no. And he was immediately repentant. Well, in our text here today, there's, there's a lot for us as his contemporary followers to be humbled by us. Peter was very humbled. But I want to talk first about the fulfillment of these prophecies. Here's a reminder that you can count on something. The word of God will never be wrong. It'll never be wrong. The word of God may be delayed in terms of our eyes, our sense of timing. It may come about in a different way than we anticipated, like in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, where it was announced, prophecy, that Elijah was going to come. And everybody thought, Elijah, there was going to be a reappearance, a reappearance of the ancient prophet of Elijah. There was, in a way, it was a different form. Well, as Jesus explains later to his disciples who were asking, what, what, uh, we thought Elijah was supposed to come, and Jesus says, yeah, he did. And they did to him the things you know about. What was that? Well, Elijah was John the Baptist. He was a man who appeared in the same spirit and the same power, even the same raiment, the same ascetic lifestyle as the prophet Elijah. Yeah, he came. Oh, oh, okay, we see that. Biblical prophecy sometimes will do that, which reminds me, it's just more or less an aside, but it reminds me, especially when it comes to last things. We've got to be careful here. There are some things that are literal and there are some things that are symbolic, but I'm always hearing people say, oh, gee, for the better part of my life, I hear people who think they're experts in biblical prophecy and say, they start looking at them and they say, this is Russia and this is that. You don't know that. And every time I hear him say, I say, look, I don't know everything, but I'll tell you how much I do know. I do know when you're blowing smoke. I do know when you're talking better than you know, and you can't know that. You just can't. So back off. You mislead people. And if things go a different way than what you're thinking, you may trip somebody. Anyway, God's word will be true. Fulfillment will always show up in God's time and on the dime. If God said it, we can take it to the bank. And whoever contradicts it, let them be considered a liar. And ultimately, that contrary voice will prove to be the voice of a fool. And this is really important in this light. You go back to the Enlightenment. It's always a funny term to me. Beginning about the 17th century, we've been in the Enlightenment since then. I haven't seen much light. Great advances in technology, but everything else, the human race seems to be going south, if it could go any further. 
Well, we have this new God with a capital S called science. Follow the science. Who's science, by the way? Science is always a self-correcting thing. Oh, we were wrong about that, but we've got it right now. And you know that's the way it goes. Now, you probably already knew that, but if you didn't, I told you. (laughs) This new God, science, is trying to tell us, you follow this stuff, I guess, what's going to happen here and what's going to happen, what's not, and all that sort of stuff. And a lot of it is contrary to what the Bible clearly teaches. So I'm emphasizing this. It's going to happen the way the scriptures tell us. Whatever the Bible teaches, provided it's rightly interpreted, and that's a key point, provided it's rightly interpreted, that's the way it's going to play out. You can take it to the bank and you can count on it. God's word will be fulfilled as God teaches us. And that's a great comfort. Number two, as we look at this passage about Peter, it reminds me, should remind you, that our Lord has full, familiar, and intimate knowledge of us. Where do you get that, Jim? Well, I'm looking at Peter. Peter didn't even know himself. And you and I sometimes don't know ourselves. You've probably found that out along the way. I certainly have. But we serve a God. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who knows us intimately. He knows us in the most familiar way, and he has the most intimate knowledge of every one of us, and he's not wrong in any particular I don't know about you, but it's a great source of comfort to me as well as a source of caution that the Lord knows Jim Andrews inside and out. As I say, I don't. Sometimes I'm surprised by the fellow. Yeah. Sometimes in good ways, sometimes in ways not so good. Whoa. There's nothing in you. There's nothing about you like Peter. Peter was so sure of himself. There's nothing in front of us. There's nothing that affects or afflicts us. There's nothing that tempts us that he does not know long before the fact. Long before the fact. He knows what's coming down before we ever guessed. Wow. You would have thought he had rejected Peter long beforehand, wouldn't you? No. Our Lord knows we are flesh. He knows we are faulty. That's why we had to have a Redeemer. He knows that we fail in many respects. He knows, to say the least, every one of us is flawed, and that includes your pastor. I am not here because... I'm a saint. I mean, I'm a saint in the sense of one that's set apart, but not in that sense of one that is high and holy and set above other people. I get mad and ticked off and bark like the rest of you. I get frustrated like crazy. About, 
so sick of this. Same things that happen to you, they happen to me. But the God that I serve saved me because he knew good and well I was a sinner and I needed salvation. He knew good and well that I was broken, just like you are broken. If there's anything good in me like there was anything good in Peter, it was there, what? By the grace of God. And Peter and all those disciples, they were so stupid at times. But he kept them all by his mercy and by his grace. And that's the same basis that you're being kept. God is good to you, not because you are good, but because he is good. And God puts you in some of the best places, or some of you in the best places. I mean, you, you flourish and all. But it's not because you are good, but because it's his plan and he is gracious. He does it in spite of ourselves. And you and I need to just remember that constantly. He knows all of our faults, all of our fractures, all of our failures before they ever show up and transpire. He knew what Peter was going to do. He knew he was going to fall on his face and muck it up. But he had chosen him, and Peter was his. And the Peter that he chose before the foundation of the world, he was going to keep. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10. There are other places, but this is, this is just the pithiest. Jesus is telling his disciples, it's true then, it's true now. <clears throat> he doesn't say my sheep are just great people. He says in John chapter 10, verse 27, here's how you can identify my sheep, those who belong to me. Judas did not belong to him. Judas was in his circle of disciples, but he was not of them. Just like a lot of people are in local churches, but they're not of the church, capital C. It's always been. He said, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. They do. They don't always hear it perfectly. But one thing that distinguishes those of you who really know the Lord is that you've got an ear for him. You've got an ear for him. If you were out in the street and you lost your kid in the mall, oh, what a terror. But you heard him call, Mommy, Daddy. I would say you'd recognize that voice, that cry. Jesus says, and if you would respond, Johnny, that kid knows that voice. Well, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they do what? They follow me. They don't just go yak, yak, oh, Jesus. They follow me. Not perfectly. None of us is that good. We're But they do follow him. That's their habit. And then he goes on to say, and I give eternal life to them. These 11, Peter, they had eternal life. They sometimes messed up in the temporal life they were leading, but they had eternal life. And he says, No one shall snatch them out of my hands. On this night, Peter was a royal mess. Can you imagine him, the Lord up there all alone, being hassled, slapped, spit on, beat on? 
before a kangaroo court. And Jesus looked outside. He, he heard every word. I don't know the man. Oh, shut up. Don't give me that stuff about dialect. You don't know. I don't know the guy. Get off my back. And then when I told him a third time, then he just burst out not only in an oath, but an absolute <clears throat> stream of godless swearing. And the other gospels tell us that Jesus looked out and saw him out a window or whatever. He was getting pummeled, but he looked out and he saw Peter, said not a word. I was right, wasn't I, Peter? But he didn't reject him. He didn't reject him because Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says of Peter like he says of you, if you know him. He says, we were chosen by God when, not when God saw you do a lot of good things, says, oh, I'm going to pick them. No, no. He chose us in Christ when, before the foundation of the world. You talk about winning the lottery. That we should be holy and blameless before him. If you have really and truly trusted in Christ, apart from the miserable mess that we all are, your heart's in it, not just your mouth. You're one of those. And he's going to keep you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows what he's made good. And he knows what is bad by birth. He's working to shape you into his disciples. You know, there's freedom in this, in this way. A lot of us run around. We try to hide. We try to hide from other people. We try to fake it till we make it, that kind of stuff. We don't have to. Because the Lord knows everything about us and we can't hide anything from him. He chose us before the foundation of the world and he's remaking us. It's called sanctification. He's making us holy. He's, he's conforming us morally to the image of Christ. And sometimes it seems dreadfully slow. But that's what he's doing. And when you stumble and fall on your face... You know, you just don't get it all and we're ashamed of ourselves. He's going to keep you. He kept Peter and he kept the other 11 who took flight that night like a bunch of scared sheep. And they were scared. And if you and I had been there, we'd had reason to be scared too. But you remember the next time you fall on your face, just fall into repentance, Peter did. He's going to keep you. And he kept Peter. And he kept those 11. He told them, when I'm risen, I'll meet you in Galilee. <laughs> he, he, knew, he knew these guys were going to jet out of there. And yet, they were his.
and he was still claiming them. And he did meet with them in Galilee after his resurrection. There's freedom. We can come clean because he knows everything before we even tell him. Brings up third point here. It's a big point. <sighs> tell yourself this. Never take yourself for granted. You think you know who you are. I think sometimes I know what I'd do in a certain situation. But Peter's an example of the fact that we should never presume on our spiritual courage. I submit that we're probably all morally and spiritually weaker than we think we are. But for the grace of God, it would take less pressure and opposition, I imagine, to tip our water than we realize. I uh, think I told this once before, but I've been here forever. But I remember up at Western Seminary when I was teaching there all through the 80s and the first year of the 90s, it was right in the 80s. The 1980, I think, we were having a bunch of break-ins. And I was there. My family was still in Denver. Did I get an awakening? I, I was in Millican Hall. I practically lived in my office day and night. But not entirely. I was sick of it. That's just me the idea that people would break into our buildings. Well, since I'm here, I'll just stay all night this weekend. I'll catch those birds. Yeah, boy. Pastor Jim, in those days I could do it. It's like my father-in-law said when he was about my age. He was a street fighter. He says, well, there ain't no use for me to do that anymore. Can't whoop nobody. <laughs> Well, I was uh, had my TV turned so the room would be dark and nobody would know I was in it. And then sometime in the early morning hours, I'd heard the doors rattle. Ah, I'm here. I got those sons of guns. And uh, then I heard them rattle some more, and I kind of looked down there. Two guys. Or as I could tell, both looked to be about my size. And then all of a sudden I stopped and I thought, Anders, what have you done? <laughs> a, you idiot, you didn't even call 911. If it even existed, I don't recall. Anyway, you didn't even have a number ready to call. How stupid can you get? Two, you don't have anything that resembles a weapon when those guys get in here, except your two fists. They're probably armed with something else. Three, you dummy, think about those hallways out there. They're pretty narrow. You don't have any room to maneuver, Jack. And by this time, I looked like I had the palsy. 
brave Jim, you know, standing there looking at those hallways and wondering, were you going to come in this end of the building, this end of the building? And I was shaking like that. Well, eventually they must have seen a light or something and they lit out. But I, I wasn't the man that I thought I was. Peter was a man's man. He was a guy that had hair on his chest. He's a man that already cut off a guy's ear. And he was outnumbered a half million to one. I'm exaggerating. And he, he was, he was not a guy to be messed with. But then they found him in another situation and he started having second thoughts. And then he was like one who had essential tremors in his heart. And, oh, no, no, I don't know him. Well, we may have a tendency. We may put ourselves in positions where we think we're stronger than we are. Uh, it may be a place, a place, a venue where you go and you think that morally, spiritually, you're a stronger person you are. I may affect them, but it won't affect me. Oh, you sure? You sure when you go there and some woman wants to come over and sit on your lap? Are you sure? Uh, money deal. That money starts, oh. You getting greedy? You didn't think you were that way. It's just things like that. Lying. Awful pressure here to lie. See, I'm saying, we all know we're not remotely perfect, but I'm saying that most of us are probably weaker in this flesh than we know we are, which brings up this point, brought it up before, Jesus brought it up, back in the same chapter, Jesus told his disciples, verse 41, keep watching and praying. Be vigilant. Keep looking out for the things that might trip you up. Don't be stupid. Get prepared and pray. Just constantly pray. Pray that God would give you strength in the moment. The Lord Jesus was prepared for the moment. They were not. Peter took himself for granted. Well, here's another point. The Lord keeps all those who are his. I kind of made that point in making another point, so I won't belabor it. But just remember that the Lord's going to keep you and he's going to keep yours. Sometimes we don't know about our, our children. We don't know about our husbands. We don't know about... There's a lot we don't know. And we see a lot of people who aren't flying right spiritually. As a pastor, I see it all the time. And I can't help but say, are they the real deal or not? Are they members of our church or are they members of Christ? Uh, this doesn't look right. This doesn't seem right. And it seems like a habit. I don't know. God does. But I can tell you this. That if they are his, oh, it may be by means of rather heavy discipline, chastening. But if they are his, we can take comfort in this. 
that the Lord keeps all those that are his and he will do whatever is necessary. He will create whatever strokes are necessary to bring them back and to uh, get them flying right and to honoring Christ. He will do that. And we can take great comfort in that. Some people are false like Judas from the beginning. He was just false, had a false heart. He was a familiar friend who really was no friend. And there are people in our churches who are familiar friends of God, but they're really no friends of God. I, I just see this stuff all the time. As a pastor, you're in position to see it. And you shake your head. But you do see people who just go wrong. And then there comes a day when they come back. And they come back in repentance. The Lord keeps those who are his. We read you that passage from Matthew chapter 10. Number five, moving right along. We learn this from this text. In his mercy and his grace, God uses failures as well as successful, as well as successes as platforms to improve, upgrade, and sanctify his servants. For example, at the end of his apostolic career, I think most of you know this, but in case you don't, I'll tell you. We are told by ancient historians like Eusebius that Peter chose to be crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be crucified in the same manner of the Lord. You think he learned his lesson? Yes, he did. Failure can be a good platform for spiritual revenge against the world, the flesh, and the devil. I made that mistake once. Lord God, by your grace, I'm not going to be stupid that way again. All his disciples, other than John, for so far as we know, by tradition, died for Jesus in the end. On that night in the garden, they split. They ran like a bunch of chickens running from a hatchet. But the Lord kept them. He didn't keep Judas because Judas wasn't his. But he kept every one of them. He brought him back. And after his resurrection, he met him in Galilee. And he continued to coach him up and get him ready for the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God would come upon all of them and would fill them, arm them with power, and send them forth courageously. They weren't the same people ever again. Jesus loved Peter. He knew beforehand what he was going to do, but he sought him out to restore him afterward. So folks, let's remember this. Let's never take ourselves for granted. When we start looking in the moral and spiritual mirror and think that we're all matured out, we're good. I've known people like that. who would virtually tell you that. They were here to help you, but they didn't need any more help. That's crazy. Pastors fall flat on their faces all the time. Church elders fall flat on their faces all the time. 
We can just get to the place where we just do what we do and we do what we do. We do what we do. We put one foot in front of another. Same old, same old, same old. And after a while, we get kind of casual and we get kind of presumptuous. And we think we're good to go. Peter found out he was not good to go. And let us always remember that. Start looking in the mirror and admiring yourself and you may be about to fall flat on your face. So let's learn to keep our heads down and our hearts humble. Keep humility really handy. But should we make a blunder, a mistake, remember, he's merciful and he will rescue us from those mistakes and he will use them as platforms to build us up not to tear us down. The game's not over until God decides it's over. Remember Samson? He went down with a whimper when he became unfaithful to the Lord. But in the end, he went out with a bang that shook the whole country of the Philistines. The enemy of the Lord and the enemy of God's people. God knows how to rescue us all from the pit. And someday you may fall flat on your face and find yourself in the pit. I hadn't been at Lake very long. We were here now, so it had to be after, yeah, had to be after we entered this building, which was October of 91. We have been down at Wilsonville. And this is a story I've, mentioned once before. There had been a guy, Republican Party, who had run against Bob Packwood in the primaries, came that close to beating him. He was a really loud Christian. And Christians were really activists in Oregon at that time. Well, then he got a little full of himself, proud of himself. And, uh, the next thing, the headlines, oh, the Oregonian loved it. He had left his family, left his kids, found another woman, and a shame chased him from Oregon to California. And then one day he showed up in our church. He had never been in our church before. I'm making the point, the game's not over till God says it's over. And uh, he and his new wife, you know, we saw it, we recognized him, and we thought, oh boy, oh boy, how are we going to deal with this? But he came to me before I could go to him, and he said, Pastor, I screwed up, like Peter. I shamed the Lord, I shamed my faith, out of embarrassment. But my wife, a new wife, we've repented. And we want to go on with the Lord. Could we settle here? Prove ourselves? I said, that's all God requires is repentance. As far as I can see, you've honestly repented. What's done can't be changed. But... Uh, you give evidence of being sincere in your repentance. There's a difference between remorse and repentance. 
So I said, we welcome you. And then he and his wife, she had a cleaning business. And they, on two occasions, came over to our house. And they cleaned that thing. Aussie keeps it pretty clean. But, I mean, they came with spit polish and everything. I wish she'd come back. (laughs) And they came to our house. And they, wow, I walked in there. Later, they moved back to Washington, D.C. Never heard from them again. I hope they're doing well. But but uh, the Lord picked them up, and I hope they stayed picked up. God's people will forgive, and certainly God will forgive all of us in Christ. And if you don't know Christ, I'm telling you, he doesn't give a rip who you are. He will save you from all of your sins, the most secret ones and the most open ones. He will wash them in the blood of Jesus Christ and you will be his child, a member of his family. And if he accepts you, he will keep you for now and forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for our Lord and Savior. We thank you that in him we have life. We have the presence of your spirit, your provisions, your protection. And though you may discipline us sorely when we go skating by in sin, yet you will keep us and encourage us with those truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.